0: you're here for Alul, which means the king is in the field, which starts tonight. That's right. So the next month, for the next 30 days, if it wasn't such a cloudy overcast sky, tonight you would see a new moon, yeah. or at least the outline of the moon, and then in exactly two weeks, you'll see a full moon, and then two weeks more pass, and it'll be Rosh Hashanah. You'll see again the new moon, all and right? And that's which the new year. It is the new year, so kind of exciting. Yes. Looking forward Not to it. Not kind of, yes. <laughs> We're so that tired of 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Bring us a new one. Well, you know, it's funny because um, we tend to live inside more than outside now. But the world and got built was to do a lot of communication through the things that he made. Genesis 1-14 describes the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, now some translate that as seasons, and days and years. Now notice that all these heavenly bodies have two primary jobs. One, to provide light in the night sky, and number two, to mark sacred times or seasons the hebrew word there i used before which is moad it means appointed times and it's only used for the feasts of the lord which are determined by the appearance of the new moon so in other words the part one job of the moon is to shine and and bring you light at night the other job of the moon every single night is to help let you know where you are in relation to one of these days. That's how important they are. The very moon in the sky is set to determine that for you. If God created the night sky to help identify his appointed times, it should not be a surprise that he causes his scripture to be written in such a form as to help us understand those same appointed times. Now, this may be a little mind-blowing for you. Can going to teach you a little Greek now. It actually probably goes back to Hebrew, but we know the word in Greek. And it taught us you earlier and it's a tough word because we don't speak a lot of Greek. The Hebrew scriptures are filled with poetic and musical forms that employ paradox and irony and contrast and idioms, very cool qualities. Entire chapters and books were written in an ancient poetic style, which is often easier to see in Hebrew and Greek than it is in English. Two of the more common styles is chiasmus, And say that chiasmus. Chiasmus. Now that is a Greek word that means crossed, basically. In other words, something is looking at each other, but it's the reverse of it, like kind of like in a mirror. Mm -hmm. Or antimetaboly. That's a little bigger one. (laughs) Antimetaboly. I'm too southern for these (laughs) words. (laughs) (laughs) So the concept, same same kind of idea. The concepts of the one phrase are inverted in the phrase that follows, or a phrase is repeated, and the order of the words is reversed now obviously that's hard to get so i'm going to give you an example in scripture so i'm going to give you verses but now imagine this in the in an entire chapter an entire book like this jesus said the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath so you see you have the same word same concept they're just flipped mm. okay so that's a chiasmus or a- anti and whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed So these are all over the place in Scripture. You see them all the time. And Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. See, this just isn't cute uh, poetry, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. These guys, uneducated, mind you, are writing these vast lines of of poetry, and it's... uh, It's a complicated grammatical structure. It's really easy to spot in individual verses like that. But literally, Scripture has whole chapters written in this chiasmus form. Entire books, like Lamentation, are profound poetic structures within their verses. You want to think about Jeremiah, this weeping prophet. Now, I don't even know how he did this, but God, through Jeremiah... Weeps as Israel goes into exile. And you read Lamentations, it's a pretty sad book. But to show his profound judgment, the book is divided into five chapters, each have 22 verses. Now you should know that the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters in it. numbers. Uh, The first verse of every chapter begins with the Aleph, or like the A in in Hebrew. The second is Bet, and then Gimel, and all the way along until the last verse of each chapter is Tav, which is the end. So in other words, he goes, the first word is A, then if it was in English, the first word would begin A, the next sentence, the next verse B, the next verse C. He does this for five chapters, covers the entire alphabet each time he goes through a chapter and all of it is this weeping song over israel going into captivity so just as jesus identifies himself as the first and the last the aleph and the Toph, the a and z if you will the alpha and omega in greek so his judgment is total even by the language that he judges them in And in nearly every book in the Bible, God uses numbers and word pictures as a story beneath the story and a thread that is woven from beginning to end. So as we begin a new year in 30 days, we literally step onto a new path with opportunities and dilemmas for each of us to choose between. As it turns out, the very structure of the biblical calendar is designed in the same poetic form as a song. Each feast and fast is a repeating chorus, verse, or bridge, and it's really crucial to understand the actual flow of the biblical year if we're going to encounter Jesus as we number our days. So at creation, God set apart these appointed times or sacred times, these fasts and feasts in every season, and he was going to draw us near to us and us to him and give us this opportunity through these so even though jesus now dwells inside us he still uses these sacred times to reveal himself in more intimate ways to share vision to encourage us to celebrate all that jesus has done and so much more we get to celebrate jesus constantly because he's built a calendar to do it in so he assigned five of these sacred times in each of the halves of the year and it's really easy to see how the winter and spring times connect from passover to Pentecost, and it's really easy to see how the summer and fall times connect from Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot. But unless you study them carefully, the two halves seem to be revealing two separate aspects of God's plan. And that's how most people see it. But that's not the case. They're not intended to be understood in this linear fashion, but as a song, in a chiasmus way. So if you stand up both of these six-month periods, the spring, the fall, the winter, all the least, and they look at each other the appropriate sacred time of one season is facing the appropriate sacred time of the opposite season. Suddenly, it becomes clear that the feasts of winter and summer are almost identical, and it becomes clear the feasts of spring and fall are revealing similar stories about Jesus. So suddenly, all four seasons become interrelated in a whole new way. And this becomes even more important when you understand that they also reveal a lot about the end times and part of the reason we don't understand the end times very well is we don't understand the calendar well so i'm going to break this down partly as i teach about a little today and then add some more details as i break down each of the upcoming feasts or fasts when you go to the blog today once i post this i i built this kind of calendar chiasmus so you can kind of see how this works along with these horse glimpses that we're having and hopefully that'll give you a little helping hand so coming up we'll look at the uh, how this chiasmus affects. We're going to go back to winter and check that out.